So uh, every week in many churches, and I, th I think it's often here the case here, we, we often go around pro confessing our faith. That is, we say what we believe as Christians. And there's, uh, there's different pieces of what that goes into, different ways that the church has, has done that over the years. And uh, there's, there's professions of faith that go back hundreds or even thousands of years, and there's newer ones. And uh, one of the old ones is what's called the Apostles' Creed. And it's a creed that was uh, distilled down from what the apostles taught uh, in, in, and it was from around the 300s, and it's sort of the, the lowest common denominator of what every Christian believes around the world, right? Uh, and so it's, it's all Christians at all times have believed this. And so there's a particular line that even sometimes now I wonder about, because I'm like, this made it in. Interesting. How did this part make it in, right? And so if you're familiar with the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty. And then it goes on, it says this. He, talking about Jesus, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and buried. And then it says this, he descended on the hell on the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And it's that last line that I reflect on. I'm like, okay, the resurrection. Yeah, that makes sense. I that's, that's, that's a big piece about being a Christian. But then there's this whole part about his ascension. And I think there are times in my life, at least in my faith, and definitely in the lives of college students where I go, why is that in there? A, and B, is that a downgrade? <laughs> is that a downgrade in the Christian faith that Jesus is not here right now? Here he is, God, man, the, the, the second person of the Trinity coming, and then he left. What is, what, why, why did that happen? Why did that, why did that seem to happen? And today we're going to sit in what, what we call the ascension, the ascension, which is Christ leaving, Christ going up into heaven. And we're going to try and suck out some spiritual food for that and discern, like, actually, is this good news? And why is it good news, right? And so my major claim, and I would argue the Bible's major claim, is that the ascension is true comfort for the Christian. And it's reason for trust for those who are searching or maybe not yet Christians or undecided. The Christ's ascension is true comfort for the Christian and it's reason for belief or trust for those who are searching, right? And I hope I can persuade you that the ascension is not a liability or a flaw in our faith, but it's actually a strength. It's an asset. It's good news. It's not an add-on, but it's inseparable from the whole good work that God has been doing in your life and in our world. So we're going to do this in three main three points, right? So if you're taking notes, you can track along. First, we'll ask, is it really better? Jesus says here, it is to your advantage. It is better. So we'll ask, is it really better? And then we'll ask, why is it better? Yes, it is. And then we'll see, so what? Why does it matter, right? And so let's look at this. So first, is it really better? Let's unpack and sit in what I often feel as a, as a hole or a problem in my life, right? And so if you remember, Jesus rises from the dead. He's, a, he's the risen king now. And in Acts 1, he appears to the disciples. And they see him as he truly is, God himself, and not only that, he, ascent, he, he appears to 500 other people, 1 Corinthians tells us. And there's all these people who witness Jesus as the risen, as the king who's alive again. And then he comes to the apostles at the end of Acts and says, I'm going away. I'm leaving you. And even here in John 16, he says, I'm going away. I'm going to leave you. And, and in all the, every time he says this, his, his closest followers, it says that in the text that they are bewildered, sad, confused. Why are you going? You just, you just had the biggest moment in human history. You died and came back to life, and now you're leaving? Why are you doing this? 
And then he finally goes, and they're just looking up into the sky, and you can imagine what they're feeling. And two angels appear to them and say, yeah, he's gone. He told you he was going to leave, right? And it's not just the, the disciples who feel this sense of bewilderment and sadness. I think that the, the ascension, the absence of Jesus, can present what often feels like a real problem for the Christian faith, for Christians and non-Christians, right? For, first, for, for Christians. How many times have, you, have, you, have I asked, maybe you've asked, why did Jesus have to go? Why did he leave? Think about your devotional life. Think about how much easier it would seem to have a quiet time if Jesus could be in the room with you. You know, how hard I strive and, strive and struggle to read my Bible and to connect with the Lord. How much easier it would be if Jesus could be there in person. Or think about the painful traumas in our life. How much easier it would be if we could sit down face to face with Jesus and say, why did this happen? Like Mary or Martha when their brother died. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you had been here, there might not be a war in Ukraine. Lord, if you had been here, maybe my daughter wouldn't have miscarried or my son. If you had been here, maybe my child would be walking with the Lord. Or think about just the need for daily wisdom. If we could just sit down with Jesus and say, should I take this job? How should I raise my kids in 2023? How do I navigate the world of faith and politics? It just feels so loud and unclear. Or maybe for some of you, it's just simple confirmation of your faith. You've grown up in the church and you're just, you're like, I don't know, how do I believe this? If we could just say like Thomas, I would feel so much better if I could at least touch Jesus and see somebody who died come back to life. I know that, uh, I know that I've felt this, and we've all felt this in some small way. Some of you know, maybe you know, that my, my mom passed away about a year ago. And there's still a lot of grief in my family over this, right? And one of the things I'm really grieving is my mom was an amazing cook. She cooked really, really well. Uh, and, and she passed that on to me. I love cooking. It's, one of, it's kind of a way I cope. It's a way I deal with life. And I miss my mom's presence in cooking because I, she, I would call her and say, hey, I'm making this, and I don't know quite what to do. I don't know what. And she would just, oh, this is easy. Add some of this. Do this. And now I feel the absence almost every time I cook, right? There's these moments where I go, oh, I could just, no, I can't call her. She's not here. And so my life feels harder because of the absence, and I, and I know it feels the same for me in my faith. And I, I bet it, it feels the same for you. And then for some of you who are maybe non-Christians who are searching in your faith, wondering, I often hear people say, man, Jesus seems like a really compelling figure. He said some amazing things. The Bible says he did some amazing things. That a person lived and then was publicly killed, but then he came back to life? That seems far-fetched. And then to top it all off, you just tell me you can't see him. He's there, but you can't see him. That doesn't feel very persuasive to me. So maybe some of you are searching spiritually, and it feels like believing in Christianity would be a lot easier if you could just see who this guy we're all talking about is. And then you would say, now I'm convinced. Or maybe some of you say, if I could just have an experience with Jesus, if I could, if I could just feel the peace and the transcendence that Jesus says, then I could believe. You're looking either for empirical proof or some sort of emotional satisfaction, then Christianity would feel good. And I would, I would challenge sort of the basis of either that, you know, empirical proof is what you really are looking for, this satisfaction. 
I would challenge that as the basis of, of proof, um, but I understand and I empathize with that. I get it, and we all do as Christians. That there are, here's, what the, here's the thing, is many of us operate, I think, under an unspoken, maybe even unacknowledged desire that I wish Jesus was here. I wish Jesus was here. Or in other terms, the ascension, Jesus ascending in heaven doesn't feel that great. It feels like a weakness. It feels like a downgrade, a liability to the Christian faith. And if this is you, if you're resonating with this as a Christian or maybe a not, not a Christian, I'd love to listen to you. I'd love to hear what you're thinking maybe after church. But I'll also say that Jesus tells us here that it is to our advantage. And so why what I want to do is peel back, second point, peel back why it is good that Jesus is gone. Why it is better for our faith and our world that Jesus ascended into heaven. And the overwhelming message of the Bible is that it is good news. It is good news that Jesus leaves. As he says here, it is to your advantage that I go away. So how can that be? Second point, why is it better? Why is it better that Jesus ascended? And the ascension is that is the, it's this doctrine, this belief that Jesus has gone into heaven to fully complete all of the saving things that he started on earth. All of the saving motions and activities that Jesus started on earth, he finishes in this climactic, beautiful picture of his ascension, right? The ascension is the ultimate and final proof and vindication that Jesus is the redeemer of his people and of our world. Because at the ascension, the Bible does not mean that Jesus is just sort of reabsorbed into the divine again. But at the ascension, we believe, we profess that, that a, a God-man, a person with a physical body, who is also God, goes into a dimension that is beyond our space and time, but is seated physically on a throne. He's not just, like in Buddhism, a drop that gets reabsorbed into the ocean, but that God himself, Jesus Christ, a human male, is sitting on a throne as king. Christianity is not here about pious aspirations about who Jesus is, but it's about a physical man, king, sitting on a throne. And that is what the ascension is. Well, what does it mean? A great theologian, a man named Herman Boving, says this. Listen carefully. He says, carried into heaven... He withdrew his bodily presence from our sight, not to cease to be present with believers, but to rule heaven and earth with a more immediate power. As his body was raised above all the heavens, so his power and energy were diffused and spread beyond all the bounds of heaven and earth. This is what Bavink is saying, is saying, think about a floodlight over your garage Think about you know, the floodlight that you have that casts light over, over your whole driveway. If that floodlight was just a few feet or a few inches off the ground, how much would it illuminate? How much light would it cast? Not a lot. It really wouldn't cover that much territory. But when you raise it up high, 12, 15 feet in the air, and turn on a floodlight, what does it do? It floods your whole front yard with light. That's what the ascension is, but with Jesus' rule and reign and redeeming power, it floods the whole universe with the saving, redeeming work that Jesus has started from the beginning. So Jesus did not abandon us in his ascension. He is actually more able to help us from heaven. How? How is this possible? 
Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus is our redeemer in three main ways. He does three things for us. Or Jesus redeems us from the guilt of sin and the misery of a sin-soaked world by wearing three hats, completing these, these three offices. And so he's the prophet, he's their priest, and he's our king. And so as our prophet, he guides us. As our priest, he brings us to the Father. And as our king, he wins for us. So as prophet, he guides us. As priest, he brings us to the Father. And as king, he wins for us. And it's crucial that these offices were not just something that Christ completed while he was on earth, but he has been doing these things for literally as long as, I mean, for history, as long as history has been around. But the high point is now with Christ in heaven that he is the ultimate prophet, priest, and king in heaven. So let's look at these three offices and see how Christ is fulfilling them as the ascended redeemer. So first, as king, the way the Bible pictures the ascension is as a victory parade. He's, he's a victor who has triumphed over his enemies. In Ephesians 4, Paul says, when Jesus ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. And it says a sentence later, he ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things like a floodlight. In Colossians 1, it shows us that the ascension is proof of Jesus' total dominion over all darkness. And so Paul is here drawing on a very common cultural image of a Roman Caesar when he has victory in a great battle. There would be a, he would throw a great military parade and everybody would process through the capital and he would say, here are the people I've defeated and here I am giving gifts to the people who were on my side throughout. And then he would ascend into the throne and say, I am king over the known world. And Paul, is, and G Paul says here, oh, Jesus is so much more victorious, not just over the Mediterranean, not just over the earth, but over the whole universe. He is the ascended and raising, reigning king. And the Bible portrays Jesus leaving. It imagines it as proof that he is king over everything. Listen to what Bavink says. This is amazing. He says, the ascension is a bigger triumph than the resurrection. Do you hear that? The ascension is a bigger triumph than the resurrection. It is Christ's triumph over the whole world, over the laws of nature, over the gravity of matter, triumph over hostile, diabolical, and human forces. Do you hear what he said? He said the ascension is a bigger triumph than coming back to life because it proves that Jesus rules and reigns over everything dark, wicked, and oppressive in your life and in our world. The ascension shows us that Jesus is king over nature. He's king over dark spiritual forces. He's king over every, everything. And it makes sense that he would go to the place where he can reign best, which is heaven. If, if uh, you know, the president, if he was elected president, he goes to Washington, D.C. to rule, the place where he is best able to rule. And so Jesus is the best king, and he restrains and conquers all his and our enemies. So that's, that's Jesus as our redeemer, as our king. He's best ruling from, the, from heaven, but he's also the best priest from heaven. Jesus is our priest on earth because his death on the cross covers over, his blood covers over and washes clean the guilt of our sin. The basic Christian premise is that we are broken beyond repair by ourselves and that God had to do something. And that great activity of God is that Jesus comes and dies the death that we should have died. He was our substitute. 
He was an interceding for us by his blood. But while his atonement and death were complete on the cross, the Bible tells us that he still intercedes for us in heaven. Romans 8 says that he is in the presence of the Father, constantly pointing to his finished work on the cross on our behalf. It's the difference between, if you think about, uh, if, you know, if you get a, 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 tra- a traffic ticket and you have to hire a lawyer to represent you. It's the difference between the lawyer showing up in court and just logging in on a Zoom call. Imagine you go to court and you're ready for your lawyer to come and defend you and you get a text on your phone and says, I'm not gonna make it, I'll just Zoom in, here's the link. And he tells the judge, and, and you're like left telling the judge, uh, I don't know where my lawyer is, but here's he on my screen. What kind of a lawyer is that? That's a terrible lawyer. You don't want that lawyer, right? You want the lawyer who walks in to the courtroom and says, I'm here to defend my client. That is what Jesus does. He goes into the courtroom of heaven and says, I am here to defend my people, my beloved children for the rest of eternity. Look at what I, do- I have done on the cross. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. He is in heaven now interceding on our behalf, pointing to the cross every moment of every day, right where we need him. And last, Jesus is the best prophet from heaven. Jesus is our prophet because he sends out the good news of his redeeming work into the world and into the life of you and of me and of my friends. And and as he sends out the gospel, which is to convince and convert the world to follow him. And he does this best from heaven. And he tells us how it happens actually in our text here. He says, it is to your advantage that I go away because the helper will come to you. And he's referring here to the Holy Spirit, who is the active arm, the strong arm of the Trinity, who is going out. He says, this Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin and convince the world of who Jesus is and what he has done savingly in our lives. He says, this will best happen, not when one man is stuck in one place in Palestine, but when the very power of God, the Holy Spirit, the most powerful force in our world, goes over all the earth, covering it, with the knowledge of who God is and what he has done savingly and actually can penetrate into the darkest part of our world, which is our hearts. This is why Jesus says, as he's ascending, all authority on heaven and earth is mine. Go and make disciples of all nations. The Holy Spirit, this prophetic role that Jesus plays is the difference between digital advertising and putting some flyers on a telephone pole. How many people are you going to reach if you just punch out some flyers and staple them onto a couple of telephone poles around San Mateo and Knob Hill. 20, 30 people, maybe. But if you send out the right digital campaign on Instagram, you're going to reach hundreds, thousands of people in hours, right? That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. That's why Jesus as prophet is powerful in his ascension. People come to Christ on a scale which would never happen if Jesus was on earth. So why is this good news? Why is the ascension good news? It's because we need Jesus as our prophet, priest, and king to flood the world with his redeeming power. We need a king who is, on he- who is in heaven who will rule and defend and, uh, us. He, we need a king who will restrain and conquer your enemies. You need a king who will intercede for you right now in heaven, in your sin, in the ways that you've sinned this morning in the ways that you've sinned this week, to say, no, I died for him. I died for her. His penalty, her penalty is paid. 
We need a prophet who is sending out good news into our world because it's got a lot of sad things happening in it. Somebody who's saying it's not always going to be this way. I have done everything that needs to be done. Now wait, I'm coming. Jesus's ascension and enthronement is not just unproductive waiting. He's not up there twiddling his thumbs until it's time to come get us. He is more active than maybe he ever has been, redeeming your story, redeeming your city, redeeming your family, redeeming this church, redeeming our world. That's good news. So why does it matter? How, so what? How do we apply this? So I want to try and apply this really quickly to first to us, those, those of us who are Christians and then those of us who are maybe still searching or not sure. I think one of the most exciting ways, the so what's about this, is the meal that we're about to participate in, the Lord's Supper, right? And this is the meal that, uh, that, that symbolizes Christ's Body and broken, body and blood being broken on our behalf. And there's a lot of different views of what this meal has meant throughout history. Our Baptist friends say that this meal, communion, is just a moment to look back and remember what Jesus has done savingly in our world, to remember when Jesus died. And I, I'll be honest, I think that just doesn't take seriously what Jesus says in John 6, where he says, unless we eat his body and drink his blood, you have no part in me. Our Catholic friends, on the other hand, would argue that in the Mass, Christ is re-sacrificed again to atone for our sins one more time. And, and I think that shortchanges the once-and-for-all atonement that Jesus offered on the cross that Hebrews talks about. It also pulls Christ down from heaven and scatters him around the universe. Those are some big problematic theological claims. But the Reformed tradition, the Presbyterian tradition, I think nails it. And Calvin, in his, in his Institutes, he argues that because of Christ's ascension, when we partake of this meal by faith, the Holy Spirit lifts us up to be with Christ in heaven so that spiritually we are united to Christ a little bit more. And this sends shivers down my back every time I think about it because this means that when you as a Christian eat and drink bread and wine, somehow spiritually you are more connected to Jesus than when you walked into this building. That's what, that's what communion means, that when we partake of Christ's body and blood, spiritually we are nourished by him, by his Holy Spirit, in the same way analogously that bread and wine feeds our bodies. And so communion is not God coming down to us, but the Holy Spirit lifting us up to be with Jesus, the risen and reigning ascended prophet, priest, and king. And how this works, I don't know. It's a mystery. At the end of the day, that's what the word sacrament means. It means mystery. We don't understand it. But as Calvin says, he says, I don't understand it, but I experience it, and I trust that it's true. And I'll try to make this very practical for some of us, a particular group, parents of young children, right? I, I know this because I have a four-year-old daughter who struggles to sit through church. And so there are moments where I'm just so frustrated in church because she won't sit still, and I'm just like, oh, I can't pay attention to anything that's happening on Sunday. And there's this blog that I read last week that posted about this, and he says this. He says, parenthood makes participating and paying attention in church hard because of wrangling toddlers. But he says, in the Lord's Supper, grace happens to us, even in our distraction. Taking the Lord's Supper with small faith, with distracted faith, the Holy Spirit ushers us into Christ's presence and nourishes you. 
So even if there are times where it's like, I can't pay attention, what am I doing with these kids? The Holy Spirit uses this meal to connect you to Jesus in a way that you're not even fully participating in. Because <laughs> of your kids, because of my daughter. That Christ's ascension means that Christ the God-man is sitting on his throne and we become more like him by eating this and drinking this. But second of all, how does the ascension matter to those of us who are still searching or maybe not quite persuaded of Christianity? Why does it matter? Well, I'll tell you this. I think um, it matters because it tells us that this world is not about all that there is. There's, a, there's two philosophers that I, I, I enjoy philosophy. There's two secular atheist philosophers, a guy named Hubert Dreyfus and a guy named Sean Kelly. And they write a book called All Things Shining. And they're trying to explain how do, we, how do our lives have meaning if, if, if atheism is true. And as atheists, they say, there's not really any purpose or end to our lives. It's just material existence, electrons and protons spinning around each other. And when you die, they would argue, that's it. That's all there is to our lives. And uh, this world is nothing but physics and chemistry. And so the most you can do is kind of scratch out some shining things in this rather dull world, uh, in this machine. And, and that's all. Um, and they have to be kind of honest about that. And that's, that's rather depressing in my mind. Um, but I don't think that, ac that actually corresponds with how most of us intuitively live our lives. Um, think about the most satisfying moments in your life. Sipping a good drink with a cr by a creek with friends, or the smell of barbecue on a Saturday afternoon, or sweet rolls coming out of the oven on Christmas morning, or scoring the goal with your team. These moments are not just chemicals hitting our brain at the right time in the right way. They, they point us to something. They say that there is something more than just maximizing the amount of dopamine that our brains could handle, right? That they point to meaning and purpose and joy in our lives, that there really truly is something good, true, and beautiful in this world and something really good, true, and beautiful out of this world. And Christ's ascension affirms what we all intuitively experience, that there is a place and a person where good, true, and beautiful things exist and will never go away. If materialism is real, what these secular philosophers are talking about, then the most you can hope for in life is just sort of maximizing the amount of dopamine you get, which frankly means that meth is the best answer to life. <laughs> but if the ascension is real... If the ascension is real, then there are joy-filled moments that point us to a place and a person in heaven. And that person in that place is Christ. The ascension validates and personifies the experiences of goodness that we all know intuitively have to be real. And without the, the ascension, it's just a chance of trying to get some dopamine. With the ascension, there's hope, meaning, and purpose in our lives. And that gives us, I think, it gives that to you. It gives you reason to believe. It affirms what you already know, and it points you to the person that validates what you already know intuitively. Just like we sang, Behold our God, seated on his throne. Come, let us adore him. The ascension, friends, is not a liability to your faith. Christ's absence is good for us because it means that Jesus is actively doing his most redeeming works in your life, in your body, in your soul, in your family, in your marriage, in your church, in your world, in your job, every piece of it. He is filling all things with his healing power. 
So I hope you see the ascension after today is not something to go, man, this is, he's holding out on me. But as good news of God's redeeming work in your life, of an active king who is bringing justice, of a prophet who is sending out good messages of hope and peace, and of a priest who is constantly saying, there is no condemnation. That matters, and I hope that each of you can trust and enjoy the ascended king a little more. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, um, we pray that your spirit would do what only your spirit can do, which is nourish and fortify our hearts, our bodies, our souls with the good news of the gospel, that the ascension would be something that is a, a sense of hope and joy and peace. We pray that you would increase our faith, that in these thin moments of doubt and frustration, that your word would comfort and bolster us. We pray that as a church, we would be people who look to the ascension for the good news that it is, and that we would boldly go and make disciples of those who are yours, and that you would be king, and we would be your children. It's in Jesus' name we pray.